Hi everyone, welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today is actually a special episode as we are finalizing the Business Insurance Women Torch EMEA Awards and Leadership Conference, which will take place on the 10th of November 2022 in London's Sheraton Hotel on Park Lane. I wanted to bring more awareness on two special fintech influencers and market colleagues. Last year, both Theodora Lowe, who is a founder of Unconventional Ventures, and Daniel Guzman, who is a head of social media at Mercer, brought interesting insight on the future of work and also what the new normal may mean for all of us. So let's dive into this webinar, which provides a great perspective on what to expect. So hi, everyone. I'm Sabine van der Linden, CEO and Managing Director of Alchemy Crew and also a Women to Watch Foundation board member. I am thrilled to host this fast chat with two renowned fintech influencers and respected voices in finance and insurance. So I would like to introduce you to Daniel Guzman, head of social media at Mercer, who is also an expert at activating employees and creating impact from social media. And Theo Lowe, found, found, founder of Unconventional Ventures. Theo is an author and we'll go through the book, Beyond Good, right? Which addresses some of the major societal issues we all need to pay attention to today. Theo is a public speaker, Theo has a podcast, Theo has so many things going on and advising as well startups, which I love because this is my passion too. So with no further ado, let's get Theo and Daniel to give us a little bit of background around each of them as we want to cover the future of work and beyond good as well and how we can create magic in the world we are in, new and never normal. So I'll start with you, Danielle. A big question, Sabine. Thank you so much for, for having me here today. It, it's quite an honor. Um, I mean, my focus, as you shared, is really about the future of work. It's something that I'm passionate about personally and professionally. And the journey over the past years has been about reinventing myself and how to stay relevant in a world that is changing so radically. And when we think about the pandemic, it's only accelerated that, that journey now on a mass scale, not just for me, but for everyone to really be thinking about this a lot more and using platforms like social media and other channels to be able to be continuously learning, applying and making a difference. Um, I really enjoyed the opportunity to find ways to connect with individuals and communities and organizations to try and create a world into the future that is a place where I'm proud to have helped my daughter become a part of and to think of the ways that we can just do that in small incremental steps every day. Um, you see, I mean, you mentioned the, the book Beyond Good, which to me is just, it's a Bible. Um, and there's so many small aspects in there that we can kind of 
take in bite sizes and apply. And that's the way I like to look at everything is not so much the big changes all at once, but the way we can make small incremental changes that have a compound return over time. Thank you, Daniel. Theo, what about okay. you? What has been your journey? <laughs> wow, okay. How, how, how do I follow? You're a tough follow, Daniel. Um, so my journey has been actually interesting. Daniel, you talked about uh, changing course and transforming. So my background is actually engineering, chemical engineering. Um, and uh, born, raised, went to school, um, came from academic backgrounds and, you know, interested about science, always about science. And, um, and then I, I spent the bulk of my career, actually, more than 15 years in telecom. So I did not come from finance and didn't come from banking. I always tell people, please do not hold that against me. Um, but what has been really interesting, if you look at high tech, you look at telecom, you look at financial services industry or, or fintech and insurtech startup, a lot of what we do inherently at the end of the day is about people, right? Technology is a means to an end. Um, just like the three of us right now, we are at three different cities connecting together. Um, whatever platform that it is that we're using at the end of the day is about the three of us conversing and exchanging ideas. And that's what's fascinating. That's what I love um, about what we do is how to use technology for good in a sense, to connect people, to spread ideas, to help uplift voices that otherwise didn't have a mic. And that's what I've always been interested in. And I've been very privileged to be able to do that um, and do something that I like um, and, and to have a wonderful partner in crime to, to be part of it, to write the book and to do our work. Um, what I have learned, I think, in the past almost two years now, gosh, losing track of when we started the lockdown, we are, we might be in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. I think if that's how I were to summarize the past 18, 19 months is we have been very aware of a lot of the challenges and inequalities that exist in our society, right? But I think if anything, I hope that we will take away the learning from recent months is that there are lots more that we need to do there are a lot of children who do not have access to the internet that we are creating a lost generation. There are a lot of women who have multiple duties, right? We talk about third shift that a lot of women have to do um, just to keep their households and keep the families safe and keep the kids fed and, and all of that. We need to do more creating a support structure for all of these people or essential workers that, you know, we like to call them because we're sitting at home and waiting for deliveries. Well, they also need help too. So I hope if we were to take away anything um, and to be able to grow from it, and that will be that lesson that we are in it together. And important. So you mentioned a path from telecom to, you know, being one of the major influencers in, in fintech, you know, reminding us every day of our purpose and, you know, why we are here, whether it's fintech, wealth tech, health tech, insure tech, as, you know, women and hopefully voices where we can actually share what we learn in our own way. But so you already went into the past 18 months and what we've seen around some of the lessons that we, we need to start remembering. Danielle, you know, is there anything else you want to add to some of the commentary from 
feel around the past 18 months? That's a great question. So I think the past 18 months, beyond the obvious, when I think back, the first thing that comes to mind is that there is so much joy in the ordinary. I think we've taken so much time in our lives to be rushing here, there, commuting, uh, achieving goals, that we have not stopped to realize what is at our fingertips, what is around us in our community, whether it's family, whether it's a broader community, the places we live. We take all of that for granted. People, I live in New York. People come to New York every single day to visit New York. I work in Times Square at Rockefeller Center. People travel from across the globe to come there. I go to the office, I grab lunch, I go back in the office, I go home. I don't even pause to look at these beautiful landmarks that people come to visit. So now it's a matter of reflecting on that, thinking, wow, I, I have this at my doorstep. So I think that the, the simple joy of the ordinary. The next is the idea that family matters. Again, how many of us would use to commute to the office or travel the globe for what we do personally and professionally and maybe not be there for meals every day, maybe not be there for that first milestone or that birthday party or, or maybe seeing you know, your, your grandparents more frequently. These small aspects of family life, whether it's your, your close-knit family, your, your second generation, et cetera, the idea that that is ultimately the most important thing in our lives. And, and I think the past eight months has, has really helped us to realize that. And I think the last thing that I kind of think about now is as a broader society, I think we're starting, we're not there yet, but we're starting to really realize that self-care is actually not self-indulgent. The fact, you know, the conversations around well-being and mental health are now becoming what they should be. We've always talked about health, but and, and it's in, embedded into every aspect of our lives. But when we start talking about mental health or taking time to invest in our own well-being, that's always like a second thing, or it's maybe something that is not as mainstream. And I think that it's critical that now through organizations and ourselves and leaders, that is becoming a, a very real and daily conversation at the table. So you are touching around some major societal challenges. And Theo, I would like to take a quote from your great book. Change will not come if we wait for some other person. Or if we wait for some other time, we are the ones we have been waiting for. We are the change that we see from Barack Obama. So when you look at some of your path and lear learnings, you know, writing this, this great book, what are some of the biggest existential challenges we need to pay attention to today? Wow, that, that, is, a, that is a big question. How much time do you need? <laughs> I, I think there, there are quite a few and, and some of them we are very familiar with. Um, so one, one of the topics, the biggest topic that I'm most interested in was, was got me into this path with fintechs and financial services is one of longevity. Longevity is a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. So one of the, that, one of the topics we've written quite a bit about is the fact that, you know, from the early 1900s, we have all collectively gained an extra 30 healthy living years, right? It's, it's hard to imagine that, put that in context. But if we just take a step back and look at, you know, how we're living our lives with our career and raising children and all that, compare that to our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation, right? 
we have changed quite a bit. And a lot of that came from because of the fact that we're all living longer that affords us different opportunities to try different things at different parts of our career. So for example, we started um, the company in conventional ventures when I was in, in mid-40s, right? And this is something that probably was not common given 20, 30 years ago. But now people do um, pivot in their career quite a bit. And so if we start thinking about the fact that we have an extra 30 years and the next logical question would be, what would you like to do with that extra 30 years? Are you going to be working 30 extra years? Ouch. Um, how do we make our retirement nest last longer? And what does retirement even mean, right? And so there's a, a professor with this wonderful book, Talk About 100 Year Life, where he helped us reimagine our life instead of the normal three stage, you go to school, and then you work and then you retire somewhere along the way you have a family what if it becomes a mini cycle right in development software development we think about agile development instead of waterfall what if we treat our lives the same way what if we learn we work we start a family and then you go and relearn new skills that's something that daniel likes to talk about a lot future of work how do we upskill and reskill ourselves do something else maybe take a break in the middle and go back and do it again. So what I see as what some people would say is a challenge of living longer, I would like for us to rethink longevity and turn it into an opportunity for us to try something different. And then alongside with that, then you start thinking about working. What if you have multiple generations of people working alongside each other? What if you have multiple generations of your family living alongside each other? Will that change the family dynamics and think about how we should live our lives? Um, will that change how we think about corporate structure and how we let people work and take different forms of working more flexible arrangements for them to be able to take advantage of longevity? So that is one of the biggest thing I think face all of our societies today, some more so than the others. And it will prompt us to start thinking about our social support infrastructure and everything along with it. How do we help take advantage of what's in front of us? Very wise. And uh, whilst you were talking, um, Theo, I was seeing myself, you know, went to school, went, changed country for my education, worked for amazing companies. But, you know, one thing which is consistent is being a self-learner, you know, rebuilding oneself and learning new skills and pushing the boundaries because nothing stops really, which I guess, Daniel, you see that every day when you're actually reshaping our working future, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think I, I resonated with so much of what you were, you were saying, Theo, and, and especially the idea of we grew up or I grew up at least in a generation where you have a career and, and now we are part of this transformation where we actually have career experiences and to your point, right, this cyclical cycle. And, and, and there's so much, though, that needs to be done for that to actually become accessible to everyone. Right now, I think all of us read every single day, organizations are trying to understand how do we rebuild for the future? Do we do hybrid? Do we do distributed? Do we do virtual, you know, in, in the office? Like, there's no answer right now. And I think organizations are trying to, to figure that out. Um, and to me, that is one of the biggest, it's a watershed moment, actually, for the future of work. It's one of the biggest changes that we will probably see in our lifetime. And we're on the, on the, at the beginning of that journey. Um, but something else that you mentioned, 
here was that at the crux of that is one of the things that I think has really elevated and surfaced is the concept of just trust. And regardless of what comes in the future, trust is, is such a massive uh, part of this journey now. And it's at the core of every relationship, whether it's personal or professional. But even now as we reinvent ourselves, it becomes kind of fundamental because we need these relationships. We no longer leave a job and move to the next job. And because you don't know if you may come back as a boomerang employee, you don't know if you may come back as a gig employee. You don't know if you may start a business with someone from that previous firm. So the idea that we close chapters and open chapters is kind of gone. And it's now all one big narrative. And I think that's exciting. Um, and it does also require us to be much more present in what we do every day. And historically, you know, people go to a job, they're there for 25 years. And to your point, they retire. Well, now we need to be thinking of it every month every quarter, why am I here? Is this still meeting my purpose? Have my goals changed? And if yes, take action. And if no, then we continue on the journey. But um, I just think a lot of work is now becoming much more mindful than it has been in the past. And I love your emphasis on as well on the three, the five generations, because I think that unlocks so much opportunity, both in an organization, in the whole kind of future of work, but then also with society. There is so many unconscious biases around the different generations and one generation it should be doing X and the next should be doing Y, yet this allows us to unpack all the opportunities that we have if we actually come together. And I think that that is something that we're starting to see come through the way organizations are activating and inspiring workplace culture. And there's a lot more that needs to be understood and done in that facet. But I do believe that we're on the beginnings of something really exciting. So it's interesting because when I talk to my, my godchildren, my Gen Z godchildren, what you find is that everything they do as a purpose, you know, even when they use social media and they get their auntie to be cooler, she's like Instagram. And um, it's fascinating because for them, they would not make any choices without purpose, I think now, even when I interview, you know, youngsters who want to come and work with us, they ask me about my sustainability strategy and they don't even want the perks. They actually want a project which give them purpose. So I think, as you said, there's a change around why we go to work and, you know, many of us and many of them will have seven, eight, ten different jobs in a very short period of time. So my, my question to you both, uh, starting with Theo, so what does that mean, you know, from a reflection viewpoint as to where we are going, whether we look at founders, entrepreneurs, you know, the wonderful woman in insurance and executive in insurance who are trying to define what's next for them, how they build a career, how they make choices which are fulfilling them for the long term? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there are two different sides we need to look at, and I feel that we're not doing it enough. One side is from the idea side, right? Are we creating new solutions to support the changes and the challenges 
and the opportunities that we see, right? So for example, we just talked about longevity. We talked about people doing more transient gig work. But if we take a step back and look at financial services, looking at incumbent providers or fintech startups, are the new solutions that are being created, are they being created to mimic what we have always had in the past? Or are they being created to support these new opportunities? Are there enough solutions out there to support small business owners? I would say we need more. Do we have good solutions out there to support gig workers, right? How they plan their lives and how they don't have access to benefits. We need to help them take care of the taxes and all of those. We need more solutions to support that. And same with longevity. Are we creating different solutions for people to plan for multi-generational, for living longer, working longer? Or are we just creating solutions for people who already have assets, right? So that is what I feel like we need to do more of. And then on the other side, um, Sabine, like what you touched on, the founders, the people who give these ideas, the people who give life to the opportunities that we need to focus on, are we doing enough of that, right? So take a step back and look at what we have collectively experienced together. We have seen massive amount of funding that goes to fintech startups, right? Record breaking. And yet, if we look at the amount of funding that goes into female founders, the percentage is at the lowest it has been in the past five years. 2.2% of the entire bucket of money goes to female founders. My question will then be, why, right? It's not because of lack of awareness that we need more diversity and different ideas in, in the space. It's not because of lack of money because clearly there's a lot going around. So why is it that we have yet to see significant changes to the makeup of the boards, to the makeup of, of founders, to the makeup of solutions that we have in our industry, right? So, because you cannot be what you cannot see. And this is why we say representation matters. It's not just about gender. It's not just about ethnicity. It's also about socioeconomic backgrounds. It's about ideas you represent and give life to. We need to do more of that. And I want to highlight that during this weekend, you actually shared an article which showed the top 10 investors investing in women, which was actually quite interesting. And as you say, you know, still today, the founding in, in women, um, you know, entrepreneurs who are actually doing great things is still, you know, very low. But still, there are a few organizations who recognize that. And I think they need to build that in strategy for, for them to be able to make an impact. What would be your, your view, Danielle? I think you kept asking why, Theo. And as you're saying why, 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 I was thinking to myself, it's a really big hurdle to move from traditional kind of tick the box learning or tick the box approaches to accomplishing things to actually focusing on helping people understand why. <laughs> um, meaning, you know, we look at things like, you're right, there's been so much conversation, investment, uh, effort even arguably into kind of closing the, the gender gap or into diversity inclusion efforts and organizations, but yet it still doesn't close the gap. There's something not clicking. There's something not connecting. We're trying to hire more diversely, yet we still see areas underrepresented and not part of the conversation. And, and I don't have the answer. But one of the things I do often see is a lot of the ways that we 
teach these ways of being or acting are all kind of essentially check tick the box or I've completed this. And so you learn it for a moment in time, but then you go back to your old behaviors. And it, and it's, and we need to start thinking about if we look at kids, right? Everything they learn is, is kind of situational. There's context around it. It's real situations in which they're learning. And then you associate with that and you carry that forward. So how can we apply that so that ourselves, our colleagues, wider audiences in society can really do something in a much more collaborative and connected way that helps everyone understand and feel, you know, the, what that situation is like and then how they can help make that difference. I think until we start or we don't start investing into that way of thinking and applying, it's going to be really tough because I can do those trainings and, and be done in an hour and then just move on with my day. I haven't changed anything about my behavior and behavior change is going to be foundational for us to be able to, to start shifting. And you mentioned a little bit about the gig economy as well. And I don't know if we've really stopped to think before the pandemic, how massive a change that alone is. I mean, I read a stat that by 2027, more than 50% of the U.S. workforce is going to be participating in the gig economy. That's massive. And if you stop to think about most organizations currently don't have the underlying operating infrastructure to be able to provide healthcare benefits or other access to the same resources that a full-time employee has. So that there's that, that's just one example, but there's so many. And then you think about the unconscious bias in that we always say, oh, that's a vendor. Oh, that's a consultant. Oh, oh he or she's an employee. There's a lot that unpacks behind that. And when we think about the fact that what it means to work and, and showing up to work now should be, we need equity across all facets of that. And I, we're not there yet. I, I, it's starting to become more prominent and organizations are starting to explore that, but it's a big shift. And it's not just at a company level, it's everything. It's the healthcare systems. It's, there's so many different aspects that need to be considered and looked at. Um, so I'm hoping that through the past 18 months, it's really helped us to start to think about this in a much deeper way and in a connected way. It's no longer about I, it's about we, all of us together. We are surviving and making it through this pandemic collectively as one global organization. And how can we apply that same connected behavior and momentum towards attacking some of these other big societal issues? I'd like to continue on this conversation around what we are missing. And I will quote another great quote from uh, Theo's book. So we all should know that diversity makes for a rich tapestry. And we must understand that all of the threads of the tapestry are equal in value, no matter their color, equal in importance, no matter their texture, Maya Angelou. So that takes me to therefore a question around polarities. And I think we started approaching the, the question um, during our conversation already, where I would love for you to talk about the polarity of diversity versus inclusion, equity versus equality, and also looking at you know, economic mobility. I think you touch upon in your book as well, Theo, around the two economies. So let's get started with you, Theo. Yeah, it's, it's, it is an important topic for all of us, I believe. 
because it concerns all of us, right? When we talk about diversity, we can't just talk about diversity without inclusion. And we cannot talk about diversity inclusion without talking about equity. I think they're all intertwined. And I would add that even the latest um, topic around sustainability ESG, there is a bit of a DEI included in that because diversity, inclusion, sustainability is not just about the environment. It's not just about green climate, green energy. It's also about having sustainable business models. To talk about sustainable business models and a sustainable future, we need to think about the people that are part of that economy. And that's what brings us to diversity, inclusion, equity. One of the um, my favorite analogy to why equity is important is is think of think of runners and and Danielle you wouldn't know this, um, and the tracks you can, if you start off in the same spot, those in the inner circle will run less and those in the outer circle have longer distance to cover and that's why they don't start in the same spot, and that's exactly what we need to think about equity, in in the United States and actually in a lot of different places where you end up still very much depends on your skin color, your race, your zip code, the schools that you go to, and that dictates the social circle you're in. And that changes the opportunities you get exposed to and the experience you have. And it changes all across the board. And especially, I would say, given the last 20, 30 years, economic inequality within the United States have gone up so high that the U.S. is the the uh, one developed economy that has the largest inequality, economic inequality. And to us, and to me personally, economic equality should be a human right. It is a human right. Access to very basic food, shelter, and water, and broadband internet, that should also be a right. Because without that, you it's really hard to be able to break out from the, the mini community that you grow up on and to have access to be able to advance your ideas and to do all the other things that a lot of us take for granted, right? And so, Danielle, to your point, it cannot just be a check in the box, say, oh, you know, you have a panel of 10 people. I have one woman of color in here represented and I'm done. It's not that. Right. It needs to, you actually need to be able to incorporate ideas from different people. And this is actually where I feel how we have been working, how a lot of us have um, sheltered ourselves, for lack of better words, behind a, a screen in the last 18 months, have hurt some of the communities that are marginalized because either A, they do not have access to the internet or they do not have access to the, net, to the network. And so as all of us retreat back from social communities, they don't have access to the people to tap into to get ideas. And that was one of the challenges I hear from people. A couple of years ago, it would be, well, you know, I had to physically move myself to the Silicon Valley so that I can be closer to investors and closer to developers. I've gotten a lot of calls like that. And lately it has been about, well, you know, Everyone is inundated with emails, with LinkedIn intros and all of that. No one is returning my messages because I don't have that community to tap into, right? So this is the, the whole digital transformation in our lives. I've created a different type of challenge that I hope that if we, when we start thinking about hybrid work, we start thinking about different forms of, of working 
and not having your normal water cooler conversation, that we have other means for people to, to tap into and create, still create that vibrant community that we need. Daniel, what's your view? I mean, so wise I'm posing because you are talking about digital societies and it's true, this is going to affect a lot of people and, you know, people who are not front and center, you know, do not have the social networks. You know, when you actually look at the uncertainty of the world we are living in, at the same time, you need to build resiliency to actually continue with whatever you do you have to understand that digital is there to stay in some ways. And you have to include that as part of your daily life. Right, Daniel? Yeah, I agree. And, and I love that, you know, you touched a little bit, Theo, on as a part of this is the concept of hybrid work. And we have an opportunity done well to take the, the fact that we've got digital, we can now tap into talent anywhere in the world. And it goes both ways. I think you know organizations need to break the molds of how they hire today and look beyond to now realize that you can hire from anywhere and hire anyone. And as well, things that we used to see, and we still do see on job descriptions, like you must be able to come commute into the office, or there's always these fine prints that but we don't need those anymore. We don't need necessarily that particular role to be able to do that, which opens up the opportunity for all individuals who might fall under certain um, disabilities that otherwise wouldn't have been able to participate into those conversations. So I, I think there's so many ways if we stop to unpack how the lack of proximity um, enables and it's gonna, it really requires us again to be mindful, intentional, and present in how we change. I also love the, the, the whole conversation of equity versus equality. And the reason why is this is something I've, I've had a conversation with my daughter about. It's easy to talk about, but I do wonder how many people genuinely stop, and you talked about that concept of the racetrack, Theo, but how many people genuinely pause to think about what they're doing every day and are they, are they, focus more on equality, perhaps because they don't truly understand the difference and they think they're doing the right thing. I, I, I do wonder that. And it's something that I, I had a conversation with my daughter about it and granted she's nine, but it was interesting because she thought it was equity, but it was actually equality. And I tried to help her understand. And I gave her the example of we're under an apple tree and I'm under the tree and you're under the tree. And we both get a ladder we get the same ladder and we're going to pick apples. And so she thought that was great. We both got a ladder. And I said, okay, so that we actually drew a little picture. And she was like, but I can't reach the apples in the picture because she's shorter than I am. I said, but we both got the same ladder. And so it was, it, it was through that conversation that she finally understood that she needs a bit taller ladder to have the same access to the resources, to have the same opportunities. And so I, I left that conversation and then had it with another person actually in my colleague community, and we still landed on equality. And, and it was all with the right intentions. And I, so I do think that these are really big topics, whether it's diversity, inclusion, equity, equality. Um, I think you also mentioned economic mobility. I think a lot of people think they're doing the right thing. They truly believe it. But it's, it, and maybe that's part of what's hindering us from moving forward. And we need to kind of unpack those and, and 
create a more visual or, you know, just connect on a deeper level as to what it really means. And I do believe people are good. People are inherently good. If they genuinely understand, then change will happen. And it's how do we create that understanding and that connectedness to, to enable us to start really addressing these big kind of um, disconnects in society. So would like to, to go into more of an opportunity conversation and you touch upon something very important, Daniel, visualizing how that could be. So I'll start with you. So what are examples of conscious choices we could make to make change happen, to make it stick? That's a, that's a great question, Sabine. Uh, it's something that I only recently realized, um, again, back to my daughter, how I actually play an active role in shaping her belief system and how she chooses and makes decisions. I mean, I've always known that to a certain degree, but I don't think I really stopped to think about how all of us in our roles do that within our families, do that within our social groups, and every action we take has a reaction. So one of the things that we've done at home, and I think we've talked about this in the past, um, and actually it came up when I read Beyond Good, because there's a section in the book that talks about the way organizations are redefining their purpose and their the way that they are building business, but doing good. And I think, Theo, you mentioned purple, purple carrot. I think it was the one that you mentioned in the book. Um, and I've actually done something similar to that one, which is a, a, a vegetable-based food delivery system, basically. And I've done this and we get a box every two weeks, not because I have any specific dietary restrictions, but I wanted to just do my little bit to help um, have a more plant-based lifestyle. There's a lot of benefits to society for that um, and the environment. And my daughter sees this and she knows that I do eat meat. So she questions it. So I hope that by taking these actions and she is not joining me on this journey, but I hope that over time though, she's seeing that and she's thinking about why I'm doing this. And I've explained it to her and that carries forward with her. It may never become a choice of hers, but it, causes her to think more before she takes an action. And if we can do that across many ways that we live our lives, whether it's not using plastic bottles and paper cups, or there's so many different ways that we can do that. And then we help the younger generation to be much more thoughtful and mindful as they move forward. And at the same time, we do our part to help them in the future of their lives. And Theo, what would be your recommendations? I like that example, Daniel. Um, mine is mine is also with with kids. I the interesting thing about having little kids is that it actually teaches us what the the importance of our actions and importance of of what we say and what we do. Um, so one of the things that that I'm always very conscious about, especially the last few years, as the kids are getting a little bit older, is to be aware of what money means because they're not earning money, right? And they're not working. So the concept of money and what is a $10, what is a $20 is really hard to conceptualize, but yet it's really easy to go spend that and, and Roblox and, and, and all the other games that they have. Um, so what I've, what I've done with the kids, um, and we're actually going to do that this Christmas as well, is to think about people in, in, our class, in their classes, in their communities. Um, for a while, the United States, and we still do, um, have a huge 
food security crisis. A lot of people do not have enough food to eat. At one point in time, you know, the the number was reaching to, I think it was like one in one in four or one in five that are food insecure. And so I was trying to get the kids to visualize, right? The 20 something kids that they have in each of their class. Imagine every day when they start their class, a few of those children are coming to school hungry and not having food to eat, right? And, and so that relates to think about what does that mean, mommy? Well, you know, if we donate to charities, um, there is a charity that they actually have a sort of a calculator that shows, you know, if you donate $10 that equates, you know, how many meals for kids, right? And so instead of spending that in Roblox, if you donate that, that will equal to how many kids that will have food to eat, that they don't have to go through the weekend hungry because we, we actually have kids in, um, in a different school in our community that the teachers have to pack food for them on Fridays. So they have food to eat on the weekend. They don't have to starve on Saturday, Sundays when schools are not open. And it shouldn't be. This is the wealthiest country in the entire world. People should not be going to home hungry. People should not be going to sleep without food. And so, you know, what, what we're doing this Christmas is um, I told them to each pick a cause that they want to support, right? Either it's clean water, it's refugees, it's food, it's education, anything that they choose, and we'll donate that as our Christmas present. So hopefully it will stick somehow. <laughs> There's Wonderful. That's I love big- that. I, I, have to, I have to jump into Dean because as I heard Theo, and I, I had written down a quote, I wrote many quotes actually from your book, Beyond Good, Theo, but one specifically stands out as you say this, and on this topic we're talking about, and it was education is the most powerful weapon you can use to change the world. And that was Nelson Mandela. And you added in your book, we add empathy to that now, which provides us with the moral compass to look beyond ourselves. And I think that the story you just told is such a perfect example of that. Um, and it's something I'm gonna actually take and carry it forward and see if we can do the same thing here for the yeah, Christmas this year. It's empathy, right? You know, and if you don't have empathy, what are we? We're humans, right? Absolutely. So coming back to, to you, Daniel, so what are your five recommendations? The five actions we can do to pay attention to things. And then I will go to Theo. And thanks everyone for their time today. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think um, a couple of things. I mean, I think we, we, have to be, we have to be mindful. We have to be present. We must be intentional. We must think of we instead of I, and we need to look at how every action we do creates a reaction and a chain reaction. So to always be thinking of the the greater good in all that we do and the way that it impacts much more than our immediate selves. Thank you, Daniel. Theo? Yeah, one of them is is the same as Daniel, intentional with our choices. I think that is something we need, we need to think about, not just, you know, what we read, be intentional about reading something different, who we reach out to, how we respond to things, how we act. We need to be more intentional with what we do. Um, I would say read more. I, I, I love reading and reading different things, right? Um, I'm awful at that. Everything I read is, is nonfiction, but I try to read from different authors. Um, that's one of the things I noticed a lot of the, um, 
the authors that people do recommend uh, on book sites, they're all similar in gender and similar in ethnicity. Mm. I would say try to read from different authors from different backgrounds. Um, it's always interesting. Listen more and talk less. Um, I'm awful at that. I need to do better. And, um, and just, you know, empathy. I will end with empathy. That is important. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Theo. So I heard empathy, taking care of others. I would add self-confidence, resilience, and determination as well to achieve what we are here to do beyond good and do it with purpose. So thank you, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this far chat. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine van der Linden. Thank you.